Good morning, church. My name is Brandon. I'm a senior pastor here. If we haven't met yet, we'd love to meet you after service. Really glad that you are here. Uh, I know something to be true. You probably know it to be true, too. Uh, where we come from impacts who we are. Where we come from impacts who we are. You know it to be true. I know it to be true. It also impacts how we talk. So I'd like to play a little game. Anybody up for a game? Okay. All right. So uh, I'm going to give you some options, and you're going to tell me uh, what your answer is. And based on stereotypes, we're going to see how stereotypical we are as Indiana residents. Okay? So first, pop or soda? What do you call it? Oh, good, good. Okay. According to that, uh, we're, yeah, maybe you're from like Southern Wells, if, if you're saying soda, the white area, I'm not sure. Maybe that's just like confusing. I don't know. Uh, okay, next one, next one. Uh, what, do you, what do you put your garbage in or your trash in? A garbage can or a trash can? Okay, let's see it. Let's see it. Yeah, we're, we're about there. I don't know. Northeast Indiana gets confused at some, some points. I'm not sure. Uh, <laughs> Uh, next thing, uh, what do you call those big trucks that, that carry or they, they, they pull a bunch of stuff? A semi-truck, 18-wheeler, tractor-trailer, what do you call it? What do you call it? Let's see. Yeah, yeah. Very much committed to that. <laughs> uh, next one, athletic footwear. What do you call it? What do you call it? Shoes? You call it tennis shoes, I guarantee it. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. There's that white. I'm not sure what that is. Gym shoes. Here's the thing. I had tennis shoes growing up. I never played tennis. Why do we call it that? Why do my parents call it tennis shoes? I don't get it. I don't get it. Uh, the one that I forgot to put up here uh, is how many syllables are in the word caramel or caramel? Caramel or caramel? Caramel. Yeah, you're right. Yep. That's, that's typical Midwest, Indiana. Uh, so where we come from impacts who we are and it impacts how we talk. It impacts how we talk. But if you, if you really think about this, though, that this is our first question in this new series called Life's Big Questions, where did I come from? If you think about that, we can answer that question really easily. Well, where do I come from? Well, I came from my parents. I'm not going to go into that story very much. You know? <laughs> Let's move on. Where do babies come from? <laughs> It's not the time. It's another sermon. It'll come. Uh, but, but we can answer that really, really simply. Where did I come from? Well, I came from, I'm, I'm from America, the United States of America, uh, Midwest portion of the country, from Indiana, the state. Uh, and I, I grew up in Fort Wayne, Indiana, the south side, otherwise known as Waynedale. That's where I came from. I graduated from Wayne High School. That's all about me. That's where did I come from? I came from those places. That is where I came from. Where you come from impacts who you are. But if you start to rewind that tape a little bit, if you start to think a little bit deeper about that question, it becomes clearer of why this is one of life's big questions. Uh, so you start rewinding, and, and for you young people, that's uh, a thing. We used to have to rewind a thing called a tape, a VHS. You may not know what these are. Any, I still have some VHS. So you got some VHS? Do you still have a VCR that plays it? I've got a TV VCR combo. Bring your teenager over. Their mind will be blown. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, maybe you guys know the, 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 what is it, the beta tracks, whatever. I even, I know what those are. Credibility with the older folk. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway. Uh, so you start rewinding then. You start, okay, uh, my parents, Chad and Vicky, uh, they, where did they come from? So where did I come from? Well, if you just keep going back, Chad and Vicky, they came from their parents and, and then their parents and they kept, you keep going. You can keep rewinding back to the beginning and, and you get to a question. You get to a more of a foundational question at the beginning, like if we keep rewinding, was it a source? Like what's the source? What's the beginning of all of this? Where did I come from? And that, that really begs the question, the most foundational question that we as human beings have ever asked ourselves, uh, asked each other, asked the, of, of the universe, so to speak, uh, is there a God? Is there a God? Where did I come from? Because then that leads us to asking that kind of question. Is there a God? If you keep rewinding, then we get to this point where how we answer the question, where did I come from, it influences the rest of the questions we're going to ask in this series. It impacts who we are. It impacts what we do. It impacts why we're here and what we do, what we do, and why we do what we do. Where did you come from? Uh, You see, we have, I think, a a little bit of a confused culture uh, because if you don't know where you came from, oftentimes you struggle to know who you are. And when we start to take out God, of, take God out of the equation and we start to ask the question, where did I come from? We don't have a good answer for it. Uh, we, don't, we don't have a really good answer for it. So the foundational question is, I think, really cool because uh, that is addressed in the first line of the first uh, book of the first page of Scripture in Genesis 1, verse 1. This is what it says, go back to the beginning. We just rewind it back to then. And this is what it says in Genesis 1.1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. So like scripture never tries to argue the existence of God. It just goes forth from that, from that truth. Uh, you know, when nothingness became somethingness, God was behind it. When the universe sprang into existence, God was behind it. When energy and matter and space and time began to appear, God was behind it. When the laws of nature were written, God was the author. You know, there's plenty of scientific evidence and plenty of scientists have given us evidence for the idea that there was a point of singularity, that our whole universe began at a time. Our universe is still expanding, so they rewind time and get back to a a certain point where the origin of everything sprang into existence suddenly. It was as if there was one moment there was no dynamite, and then the next moment the dynamite exploded that didn't exist. You see, something came from nothing, and science can't talk to that because they're observing what they can observe, but we see that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. He spoke it into existence, all of a sudden, what we see has become a thing. How, did, how could something come out of nothing? And, and so Genesis 1, verse 26, it goes on, and, and you know, God's been creating all this stuff, uh, and, and he's been saying it's good. He, he, he's creating stuff, and he's saying it's good. And then verse 26, he says this, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. In verse 27, so God created man in his own image. He 
created him in the image of God, he created them male and female. Like he did something very unique here. He created something that was new but familiar. And for us who've grown up in church, you've, you've read Genesis 1 because every year you try to read through the Bible and you at least get to that point, right? Uh, and and you've, you've read that and you, you, you know it. We're made in God's image. That can grow uh, just stale on us and we can forget the, 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 the mag, the, just the, the weight that that is, that you're made in God's image. God, God started creating. He created the stars in the sky and he started putting planets in space and he was creating then the earth and he created the mountains, he created the oceans and he created animals and he created all these things that we see and we marvel at. And he was like, oh, this is good. He's like looking at the canvas that he's painting. He's saying, it's, it's been good. This is a good thing. Like I've been doing some work, you know what I mean? But then he's like, there's something I can do more. And he gets to that point where he says, let us make man in our own image. The creator of the universe, the, the God who is eternal, the God who is infinite, infinitely powerful, infinitely wise, infinitely knowing, he decided to create human beings uniquely. You, me, created us in his image. Like that's, if we could just spend like maybe 20 minutes just m meditating on that, like we could maybe do that, but I would keep talking, so I'm not gonna do that. Um, but I, I would encourage you, like just sit and ponder because the Bible doesn't explain what that means. <laughs> it doesn't say, well, he created man in his own image and, and this is what he meant by in his own image. Like that's, he doesn't do that. We can, we can make some inferences and uh, we, can, we can look at what the rest of creation is like, what we're like and how we're different and how what we see in scripture of how God is described and how he describes himself. We can, we can make some inferences on that because in the midst of God creating atoms and molecules, time and space, stars and planets, plants and animals, God decided to do something shocking. And that is to create us in his image. Maybe uh, because we're rational and intelligent beings, at least on our good days. Uh, <laughs> that was a joke. Uh, like God. Uh, he made us as re relational beings who function best within community like God. If you look, go back to verse 26, it says something really interesting that you, you may gloss over and you may not notice if you just read it too fast, but it says, what does it say? Then God said, let what? Let what? Us. Let's say it all together. Let, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. That's the first foreshadowing of the revealing of the fact that God is a trinity, three persons in one. Let us make man in our own image. We have been created. This is why loneliness bothers us, because we were created in God's image, because we're created to be relational in community with one another. That's why relate, like loneliness bothers us. That's why when we don't have close friends, that bothers us. That's why when family members uh, do something against us and, and there's a fractured relationship, that's why it bothers us, because we're made in his image. Also, you could think about how he gave us authority to reign and rule over the earth, just like God reigns and rules over us and everything else in this universe. He he reigns and he rules. And I think this explains our angst, 
right? Like we all have this, this thing inside of us that uh, you could call it our conscience that tells us what's right and what's wrong. And, and I think it's why, like because of where we came from, it explains why we have, when we look at the world, when we look at our own life, when we look at the things that happen, when we watch the news, when we, when we think about what's happening to family members, when we go to the hospital and we're dealing with someone who's close to us who is dying, it's why we are not satisfied with it. It's why we're not okay with it because we were made in God's image. Because of the fact that when we look at the evil in the world, it bothers us. Why does it bother us? Why isn't it just, just simply natural selection, just the, the strong will survive? Why isn't it just something we can look at objectively and say it's just part of the way things are? No, that's not how this is. We are made in God's image. And so you, you think about the evil in the world and it bothers us when we see someone who's, who's murdering people, it bothers us. When we see then, when we look in the mirror and we notice the evil in ourselves, it bothers us. Because there's something in us that says, this is not how things ought to be. This is not how things should be. Why? Because we are made in God's image where we were from. Where are you from? You came from a loving God who's perfect. You came from God. You came from the Garden of Eden. Perfection, that's what we were created for, to be able to walk with God, with God all the time, unblemished relationship with him for eternity. That's what we were created for. And when Genesis 3 happened, we oftentimes just jump to Genesis 3 when we're talking about Genesis 1. But Genesis 3 impacts this conversation because when we look at the world and we look at ourselves, we see that something's wrong. We see that something has been fractured and we see our sin as a problem. See, Genesis 1 tells us that we are made in God's image, and that doesn't change after sin entered in. We're still made in God's image, but we are still now having a very much hard time living into that. Uh, to be able to live and, and breathe and move in God's image has become harder and harder. Just like Paul, who has written a lot of the New Testament, said, when I want to do the good things, when I want to do what's right, I, I habitually do what's wrong. He calls himself the chief of sinners. Anyone there? Where did I come from? I came from God. I came from Eden. I came from perfection. I came from goodness. Because I am from God and live in a sin-stained world, I have a deep sense that I am in an, in an incomplete land, a fractured location. Think about this. We all have innate desires that have something in this world that satisfy, at least on some level. Uh, think, think about this. Think about your appetite for nourishment. Like you get hungry, right? Some of y'all are hungry now. Uh, we have food to satisfy uh, some of us are like, well, all of us, we get to a point in the day uh, and we get tired. We desire rest. And guess what satisfies that rest, that desire? Sleep. This is very profound stuff. <laughs> we have relational desires. We desire closeness to other people, even though we know that a lot of times people are going to hurt us. We desire it. And what do we get? What, do we, what satisfies that? Relationships, friendships, family. It satisfies that, at least on some level. I'm going to say something next that will make you uncomfortable. Well, we're going to say it anyway. All of us have an innate desire for a sexual appetite, sexual desires. And what satisfies? Sex. 
It's a good gift from God in the right context. But think about this. Why, why do we have a desire that seems to always be unquenchable? Timothy Keller, he's a lot smarter than I am. Uh, he said this. We have a longing for joy, love, and beauty that no amount or quality of food, sex, friendship, or success can satisfy. We want something that nothing in this world can fulfill. So what if, what if the reason why we have a desire, why, what if the reason why hum, humanity from the beginning has always been trying to worship something, what if, what if the reason why we always are feeling down on ourselves, what if, what if when we are dealing with difficulty, when we are dealing with pain and stress, when we are dealing with, with sickness and sorrow, why do we always tend, even if we're angry, we end up doing what? When we're down, when we've hit rock bottom, when we're headed that way, we look where? We look up. And there's a reason for that. Because we have an innate desire for something that is unquenchable beyond in this world. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said something of the sort that uh, if we find ourselves with a desire that this world cannot fill, then maybe the most logical and rational uh, conclusion we can come to is that we were made for another world. You see, there, there's perfection that we desire. We desire perfect love, perfect joy, perfect peace, and we cannot find it here. And so we are always longing for something more. Why do we desire that which we've never experienced? It's because we were made in God's image. We were made to desire him. John 1, I want to take a little camera angle shift in the story here. We're going to look at the same scene, but just from a different camera angle. Okay, John 1. We're going to jump all the way there. And guess what? It's talking about the same stuff. John 1, this should sound familiar. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. In the beginning, God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created. In the beginning, God created. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And we know that to be talking about Jesus, the one we talked about last week who rose from the grave. God became flesh and dwelt among us. And here we see a little camera angle change where we can see that Jesus was right there with the Father as things were being created, as the laws of nature were being written, Jesus had a pen out. Maybe it was a, a fountain pen for you pen nerds. Uh, and he was writing the laws of nature. He was, he was coming up with the language of DNA, genetic codes. He was writing it and he had you in mind. See, Jesus was creating along with the Father. Nothing that was created was created apart from him. All things were created through him. Because your life came from Jesus, you will be restless without him. You will wander without him. You'll be dissatisfied without him. You'll be homeless without him. You'll be lost without him. Because every one of our hearts yearn, they yearn, 
for perfect love, joy, and beauty, and those are only found in and through the source of perfect love, joy, and beauty, Jesus. So, who, who, who in here is uh, mountain people? You like going to the mountains. If you, if you had to choose, go to the mountains. My people. There we go. Uh, ocean. You go to the ocean, go to the beach, hang out on the beach. Cool. I would love both, you know? Like, I just, what's option three? Come on. Uh, the rest of you who did not put your hand up for anything, uh, I don't know, you like to go to your backyard or something? Uh, I like to go to the cornfield, you know? Uh, so whatever works for you, you know? Uh, it's good. Uh, but I, so like, uh, let's see, was it last year? I think it was last year. I got invited to do something. Since pa- being in pa- uh, pastoral ministry sometimes has some really cool perks. Uh, a friend of mine, he wanted to... Uh, to renew his vows with his wife. And he wanted to do this thing like as a whole, a whole big thing, a whole secret. Uh, he wanted to make it a surprise for her. Because uh, when they first got married, they didn't, they didn't get married while they were both following Jesus. And so they wanted to, he wanted to go back and kind of like put God at the center of their marriage and, and just do that as a sign. God, like we're here for you, like us together and you, that, that's what we're doing. And so he invited me to join them, him and a few of their friends, couples uh, usually go on a trip and they go to, they went to this place in South Carolina. It's like a gated island community. Okay. This is like cool stuff here. <laughs> Uh, and he said, hey, do you want to do this? I was like, yes, please. Yes, I will come. I don't know what you want me to do. Whatever, it doesn't matter. I'll come. Uh, and so they had, we surprised her. She was blown away and excited. And they, all these couples, like four couples, were going to renew their vows, like all at the same time. So it was on the beach. I'm standing on the beach. And uh, their kids are running around. It was pure chaos. It was awesome. Uh, and, you know, all of us as parents, we're just like, we pay attention enough to make sure that they're still alive, but, you know, they're just kind of doing stuff. So we do, do the thing, you know, in the afternoon, and I, had, I was going to do a 24-hour trip. I had to get back and preach, like, the next day. And so uh, we, we, were, we were just hanging out, and uh, it, came, it came evening time. And, and I just, I love, I love going on late-night drives. I love just sitting under the stars. But then I was able to sit under the stars with the ocean coming in. They, they had this big house that had private access to the beach, and it was just, like, right there. So we're sitting on the back deck, and we're talking, and we're debating about some kind of thing, just theology and politics and all kinds of stuff. It was a great time. Uh, like it was for me. Like, I really enjoy that stuff. Um, And so we're hanging out and we're talking. And I just remember like the ambiance of the waves crashing in, the the conversation that we were able to have, just the friendships that we were able to enjoy in this moment. There's just something about being in the presence of God's uh, creation that for me, I don't know about for you, but it just, it puts me in awe of what he has created, that there's this, there's this magnificent moments that we share in life where, where we're either on the mountaintop and we're looking at the mountain range and we're seeing God's majestic beauty, the way he just orchestrated all this and painted it into existence by just the power of his word. And then we're looking or we're looking at the ocean and we're just relaxing because it's just so soothing. There's these moments, right, where we are captured by beauty, captured by beauty. Maybe it, for you, it's like going to uh, a symphony or, or, or listening to some music. Uh, whatever it is, there's these moments in our lives where just everything begins to make sense. Like not anything else out there, but just you and that experience. It just makes sense. 
And I think we, we long for those moments. We long for those moments to, to revisit those moments because we have this desire inside of us for beauty, for perfect beauty, for, for just those awe experiences. And it's gonna be an amazing moment because we are made in God's image and Jesus came and paid for our debt and we are gonna be through him with God together again. And we're gonna be able to enjoy those moments all time, every moment of every day. Colossians 1 uh, verse 16 says this, for everything was created by him, Jesus, in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. My friends, you are from Christ, through Christ, and for Christ. Your place of origin is a person, and his name is Jesus. When you remember where you came from, that changes who you are, that changes how you live. I want you to picture the scene. Jesus has a group of outcasts around him, as he often did, sinners and tax collectors, as they would say. And they were huddled around him, listening to him teach, and they were having a meal together. And in the distance, observing this happening, the religious leaders are over there muttering under their breath about what is going on. I can't believe he would have dinner with those people, those sinners and those tax collectors. And so they're having this moment with themselves, like with each other. And, and Jesus, knowing what they were thinking, goes into story mode. And he tells a series of stories, one of which uh, involves a father and two sons. And as these Pharisees, these religious leaders are criticizing him for being with the people who are the outcasts of society, Jesus starts to tell a story. He says, there was a father and there were two sons. And you guys may have heard this story. I'm sure you have, but just listen to it anew, okay? Let's, let's hear from it afresh. Uh, so Jesus says, there's, there's this father and there's two sons. And the younger son one day decided that he would go to the father and he would say, hey, I want my inheritance now. I want it now. And for them, the cultural equivalent of him doing that was saying, dad, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead so I can have what is mine, what you're gonna give to me. And so the father gave, uh, split his inheritance among his two sons and the younger son left his father and went to a distant country. He, he, he left and he, he, he lived it up. Jesus said that, that he went to this distant country and he spoiled his wealth on wild living. And, and, and he's doing all kinds of things. He's going to those things, the joy, love, beauty. He's trying to search for those things in the midst of this world. He's trying to find it. He's trying to have satisfaction in this world. And he's going to all kinds of things and he ends up broke. And then there's a famine to make matters worse. And what he did, the little that he did have, that famine just took out. And so the whole region, the whole country is suffering. And so he goes to this man and he works for this man. And this man sends him out into the field to work with the pigs. And for a Jewish guy, this was the, the pit of horror. They did not eat bacon, okay? They, they were not graced with that amazing gift, okay? God said we need to avoid them. They're unclean. And so he is in the midst of the pigs and he is working with the pigs. He's feeding the pigs and he gets to a point of lowness. And for, for those of us uh, who've heard this story, a lot of times we think this is the pivot point in the story, where he, he, he hit rock bottom and he realized, I would, I would love to have what the pigs are eating. I'm that hungry. 
And he gets to a point where he's like, I, what, what am I doing? What am I doing? He starts to remember where he came from. He remembers his father's house about how uh, even, even the hired servants had more than what he has now. Even though they, they had a, a roof over their head, they had food to eat, water to drink. They had everything they would ever need. And so he started thinking about what it would be like for him to go back. He's like, maybe I made a huge mistake. Maybe I made a huge mistake. And he starts to formulate this plan of, of what he is going to tell his father when he goes there. He's gonna beg for mercy to his father. He's like, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, uh, uh, father, I, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against God. I've done so much wrong. And, and can, can you just make me as one of your hired servants? I don't even need to be your son. Can you just make me uh, your, your slave? Can I, can I just do that? His expectation was that his father would maybe grant him that maybe grant him that. And so he's like, okay, that's better than where I am now. So he starts to go back to his father's home. He remembers where he came from and he starts to go and make his way. And I'm sure on the way, he's, he's just reciting this apology, this eloquent apology so he can make sure his father knows exactly how he feels. And Jesus says, as he got closer, while, while the son was still far off in the distance, the father saw him and ran to him, sprinted to him, ran to his son while his son was still stinking from being in the pigsty, like, like your three-year-old when they get out of the house and, and maybe you got dogs in the backyard and they do the thing, you know, and it's muddy and they, they rolled in that too and the mud and they come back inside. It's like that kind of smell. You know what I'm saying? It's a bad day. Mom's like, get out of the house, right? You know? And he comes up to his son and he sprints and he embraces his son while he still stinks, while he's still a mess, while he is still broken and defeated because of what he did to himself. And his father starts to hug him. And I'm sure in that moment, I think this is the pivot point in the story because his father has love emanating from him. And I think it's just warming his son's heart. And his son starts to go into his spiel about how he's sorry. Father, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. I, I, I'm so sorry. Can you please just, I, I don't know. I'm so sorry. Can you just please forgive me? And as this is happening, his father's not even paying attention to what he's saying because in the midst of him hugging his son, he's ordering for his best robe to be brought to him so he can put that best robe over his son who stinks and bring a ring and put that ring on his son's finger because he has already forgiven his son. He already loves his son. He's restoring him to sonship, not as a slave. He loves him. And then he says, hey, go and get the biggest uh, animal, whatever we're gonna eat ready. We're gonna have a party. And, and, and then they start, they go inside and they party while he still stinks. His father's hugging him and he's like, let's go inside, son. I'm so glad that you're happy or that you're here. I'm so happy that you're here because I thought you were dead, but I know now that you're alive. You were lost and now you're found. I'm so happy. And in the moment, they're starting to party and then there's another son and he gets around the corner and he starts to notice the hoopla that's going on. And he asks one of the servants, hey, what's, what's going on? Like, I, I wasn't invited to this, this party. Hey, what's going on? And he says, hey, your brother has come back. Your brother has come back. And your dad's like super pumped and excited. We're throwing a party, man. Like, it's, it's awesome. And, and that older brother 
gets angry. And as he's angry and starting, just like he's just fed up with this. And when his father comes out and talks to him and pleads with him to come in, we find out why. Because the older brother is, is frustrated that the younger son who, who, was, who, who did everything against his father, who left his father, who, was, who was basically became uh, uh, someone who thought of his father as dead and gone. He was dead to him. His son did so much wrong to his father. And he's sitting here. He said, Father, I've been with you from day one. I've never left you year after year, day after day, moment after moment. I've done all the right things. I've done all the good things. Things. I've served you. I've done everything I could for you. I've never done wrong. I've never done anything against you. And yet you've never given me a party. You've never given me a goat to eat. You've never done any of that. And his father looks at him and says, son, everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. Why are you trying to earn my favor. You've got it. You don't need to earn it. You've already had it. And he says, your brother was dead, but he's alive. We thought he was lost, but now he's found. Come and celebrate. Come in. And, and you know, with these two sons, we probably, all of us, we, we resonate with one of them more than the other. Like for, for me, like it's all about the prodigal. Uh, he, he left, he did everything he could to try and find satisfaction, to have his desires met in this world. He ran from God, he ran from his father. And he was a mess and he knew it. But he just came pleading, can you just please just make me one of your slaves? And what I see in the story is that a, I see a father who will run to his son even when he's done everything against him. This father this is the kind of father who will run to his son and embrace him even when he stinks, even when he's messy. If, if you've ever thought to yourself, like, I'm just too far from God. I've got to clean up my mess before I come to him. That is not biblical. That is a lie from the pits of hell. You are not going to get yourself cleaned up enough to where you are going to be able to be in his presence apart from Jesus. The father runs to you and says, I know that you're messy. I know that you're putting on a front with everyone else around here. I know the deepest, darkest secrets that you have. I know the sin that you've dealt with. I know how bad you stink right now. It stinks. And yet I love you. I'm holding you. I'm right here. Just receive my love. Just receive my love. So maybe you, you've ever, maybe you've thought to yourself, like, I, I've just done too many bad things. I've done too many wrong things. I don't even love myself. Why would God love me? See, he's a father who will run to you. He will run to you. But some of us, maybe most of us, may resonate with the older brother. The brother who he strived day in, and day out to do all the right things. He's the model churchgoer. He never misses a Sunday. He's a model youth group kid. Never misses a meeting. Never misses a trip. He, he, he's the one who, I, I've done everything I'm supposed to. I've, done, I've, I've lived within all of the parameters that, that you've set me, Father. I've never done you any wrong. I've never gotten in trouble. And, 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 and that son thought that 
that stuff would amount to something so that he could someday, one day, receive the favor from his father and his father saying, you've had it all this time. See, some of us, we came to Jesus and we gave up our lives and we, like, we knew, Jesus, you can save me from my sins. And we were sure of that. But since then, we've sinned a time or two again, haven't we? And maybe you've gotten to a point where you think, you know what, I've got to get myself perfect because if I don't get myself perfect, then what Jesus did on the cross is not going to count for me because I've, done, I've gone astray. Guys, this is grace. Grace God's grace says, I, I am here. I am running after everything that I have is yours through Jesus. Because of what he did, your payment has been paid in full. You don't have to try and earn God's love. You can't do it. You wouldn't do it. He already loves you. There's not anything that you can do or not do that would cause him to love you less than he already does because he loves you infinitely. And maybe for some of us, like there's, there's this stuff that we, we, we because of the culture we live in, because of the mindset that we have, we feel like we have to achieve a certain number of things in order to be counted with God, to be counted as righteous. But he's saying, hey, I just want you. Take your, take your arms and, and get them uncrossed and just receive my love. Some of us, we've been, we've been doing this too much. Because we've been looking at everyone else as, oh, they're not doing the right thing. Oh, what, what, look at what, them, what they're doing. And we, we look at the younger brother who did all the wrong things and yet is having a party thrown for him because he gave, he came back to his father. Well, what did you do? I've been here the whole time. Some of us, we need to just let go and bring our do-good mentality. It's good to be holy. And we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks of how should we, we should live but too many of us, we've been trying to do things for God without being with him. And we're always supposed to do things for him from a place and from a posture of being with him all the time. Because we cannot do, our good deeds are like dirty garments. It's not even the best translation for it. Our best deeds don't measure up. What does measure up is God's love for you. So open your arms and receive it. Where did you come from? You came from that father, the father who will run to you and he'll embrace you in your mess. And he'll say, hey, come on and join the party. Join the party. Would you guys stand? As we sing, I'm going to be down here. I would love to talk to you if, if, if you resonate with one of these brothers. And you're just at the point, like, I, I got I to gotta just receive God's love. I just got to, I want to experience that pivot point that he experienced when he was in his father's embrace. I would love to talk to you about that because God is calling us to come to him. Let's pray.